You are listening to The Rooted Podcast, a conversation advancing gospel-centered youth ministry. This session was recorded at the Rooted 2016 conference in San Diego, California. Registration is now open for our 2017 conference in Dallas. Our annual conference features great preaching, engaging biblical teaching, practical workshops, and sincere worship. It is great for anyone involved in ministry to youth, including parents. To learn more, visit www.rootedministry.com. Um, all right, so the text for tonight, uh, as you know, the conference, we're, we're kind of working through 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, chapter 5, talking about reconciliation. And um, for, for we've said to the speakers that you can take your text from 2 Corinthians or you can take that text and find one that's like it. So my text is uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, the sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. Almighty God, I pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. When I was eight years old, I uh, had something kind of remarkable and interesting happen to me. Uh, My grandmother took me to an ill-advised movie. Uh, The movie was about baseball, and she thought, hey, Cameron likes baseball, so I'm going to take him to this movie. It's about baseball. Okay. The movie was not Bull Durham. I did not learn about the birds and the bees that afternoon with my grandmother, Bum Bum, which if you haven't figured out that I'm from Alabama based on my accent and the fact that I had a grandmother named Bum Bum, an uncle named Buddy, and that my wife on her side of the family has a grandmother named Bubba. Let me repeat that, a grandmother named Bubba. Anyhow, so the movie actually that Bum Bum took me to is called Field of Dreams. And uh, the, the reason it was kind of ill-advised is because it dealt with life issues and themes that were way above the head of a, of a middle schooler, much less a rising third grader, as I was at the time. And so, to me, the movie was kind of boring. It didn't have the baseball action that I expected. Uh, it was slow, and I didn't really understand it. But something really, really interesting happened in the last scene. Uh, I started weeping. I started weeping. And I had absolutely no idea why. I was just sitting there next to my grandmother in a movie theater crying my eyes out. And I, I couldn't explain it. And you know what I did not know then, but what I do know now, is that the movie dealt with a longing that is deep in every person's heart. And the movie follows the life of a man named Ray Kinsella who has a, a broken relationship with his father. And the, they have a huge falling out that ends with Ray as a college-age person walking out the door when he tells his dad, I can never respect you. The next time that Ray sees his dad is in a coffin. Uh, he never, had the, never talked to his dad again, never had the chance to reconcile. 
and the deep pain of his life is that his father died while they were on bad terms and they were never reunited. And so the course of the movie is this kind of magical and mystical journey where he listens to this voice that kind of leads him step by step by step. And the movie ends in this magical way with Ray throwing the baseball with his dad. And it's, it's like one of those movies, if you were going to rank top movies that make men cry, like Field of Dreams would probably be number one. I, I think I've seen it 20 times. I've cried 19 times. And the only time I haven't cried is when there was this really cute junior high girl when I was like in the ninth grade in the room and we were watching it and I was, you know, you know, just yeah, holding back, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but anyhow, otherwise it would have been 20 for 20. Um, but, you know, what this movie deals with is the theme of reconciliation with and oneness with the Father. And that is, deep in our core, uh, something that we all long for. So tonight, uh, we're going to talk about this deep longing in the human heart. And we're going to talk about how, in the age of the Spirit, God relates to us as a perfect loving Father. And he opens the door and opens up the possibilities for us to reconcile with and forgive and love our broken earthly parents. So in, in Romans 8, Paul talks about this dialectic of the spirit and flesh. Very often when we hear about spirit and flesh, we think in individual terms. We think of, today I got up, I committed my day to the Lord, I read my Bible, prayed, or repented from sin, felt the presence of God, felt like I was maybe a little more sensitive to the spirit, and I walked in the spirit, as opposed to the days where uh, we oversleep and we don't do our quiet time and we don't acknowledge the Lord and we're kind of just reacting without any purpose and we'd say, that's, that's a day when I'm walking in the flesh. And that's true. Paul does talk about spirit and flesh in individual existential terms, but Paul also always in the forefront or always below the surface, he has in mind something broader and something grander something that's cosmic or eschatological, Paul is thinking about the flesh as the age before Christ came, when we were dead in our sins, and the spirit as the age that God has ushered in through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And what we'll see is that Paul is describing the new relational dynamics of the age of the spirit. Paul goes through, kind of below the surface, but Paul goes through the relational dynamics of the flesh, the relational dynamics when we're in the spirit, and the future relational dynamics of eternity. And so, first, in the flesh, we relate to God as a taskmaster. In the flesh, we relate to God as a taskmaster. In verse 12, Paul says that we are no longer bound to live according to the flesh. So in doing so, he is indicating that there is an old way. And then he says in verse 15 that we should not fall back into the spirit of slavery. He uses similar, similar language in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, when he says that you are no longer a slave. So implicitly what he's communicating is that if in the flesh we are slaves, that means that God is a boss, or God is a taskmaster. And so as a result, we relate to God as a harsh boss or as a taskmaster in the flesh. Uh, in Luke 19, in the parable of the talents, uh, the, the third servant kind of uh, communicates this mentality pretty well. If you remember this, this parable, 
the master gives a generous gift to three servants. And the first two invest that gift. They return to the master. They're trusting and they're excited and they say, look how we invested it. But the third servant comes back to the master and he has just hidden his treasure. And he says to the master, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. So when we relate to God in the flesh, we're relating to him like a boss. And if God is a boss, that means that he is distant. It means that he is cold. It means that he does not care about us. And it means that he cares about production and results. And so consequently, the way we relate to God in the flesh is in performance and in fear. Uh, Paul writes in verse 15, you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So the default mode in the flesh of relating to God is out of fear, out of fear and anxiety. And Paul says, um, you know, Paul says that we do not live according to the flesh. We don't have to, we're not obligated to, but, but we very often do. And I will say, um, I think this is particularly true when you work in ministry, right? Because who's your, who you ultimately working for, right? You answer to God. That's your direct report, right? That's the mentality we take on. So it's very, very easy in ministry to fall back into a mentality of the flesh where we relate to God as a taskmaster. And so Paul says that if we, the, the, the ramifications of relating to God as a boss or a taskmaster is death. And, you know, for, the, for a non-believer who remains in the flesh and never reconciles with God, never enters into the spirit, uh, the death he is talking about is ultimate eternal judgment. But for believers, uh, we still, when we live in the flesh, as if we are still in the old age, uh, it still means death for us too, but a different kind of death. It's a separation from God that has emotional and psychological and physical and spiritual consequences. Uh, you know, I would say, looking around the landscape of my life, the students that I work with in particular, I do not see a ton of students who are alive. I do not see a lot of students who are living. I see a lot more students who are dying. Uh, I constantly hear about loneliness and stress and anxiety. Uh, Marquette University did a study where they interviewed college students to ask them about their anxiety level. And 57% of college-age women said that they live with continuous, overwhelming anxiety. 57%, that's almost two in three women. College-age young men, 40% said they live with continuous, overwhelming anxiety. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. 2008 Psychology Today study found that the average adolescent, average American adolescent, had a commensurate anxiety level to the average institutionalized psychiatric patient of the 1950s. And I think some of you probably know this, but 25% of American teenagers have contemplated suicide at some point. It has been a real thought that's gone through their minds. This is symptomatic of people who are living in the flesh, whether they're Christian or not, people who are living in the flesh. I, um, I interact with a lot of youth pastors um, through Rooted and just in my community. And I would say that generally, the majority of youth pastors I know are exhausted, they are burned out, 
and they're very, very tired. They're often very stressed out. They're overwhelmed is a word that I hear. And, you know, some of this is a product of ministry is hard, right? You know, you work long hours, you work weird hours, um, you know, you're very often underappreciated. And at the same time, I'm not so sure that a large part of the problem is very often we are relating to God as a boss, as a taskmaster. And something I would say is, and a question we need to ask ourselves is, do we present God to our students as a boss, as a taskmaster? Because if what kids hear in our ministries is more about what we have to do for God, if they hear that more than the overarching message and theme of Christianity is God's love for sinful people through Christ, then there is a an implicit message that God is a taskmaster. In a sense, we can almost lead kids into the flesh. So the good news is that in the age of the Spirit, we intimately relate to God as a perfect, loving Father. Paul writes in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So he describes the new relational dynamic between us and God in the Spirit as that of a parent and a child. And for a lot of us, that is really good news. Um, because you had a good experience with your parents. Your parents loved you. They were supportive. And if you're a, a person who has children, this is also good news because you know just absolutely how much you love your children. Uh, you know, I have a, my first friend to have kids when we were like in our mid-20s. He, he said, you know, Cameron, it is the wildest thing. Uh, trying to describe like how much you love your children like from the beginning. He said that baby was born... And five seconds later, if someone had come through the door with a gun, I would stand between the, per- the bullet and the baby. I would die for that baby. And I've only known that baby for five seconds. And it's absolutely true. I will sit there on my iPhone and just gaze at pictures of my children all the time. Because I love, I, I have exceptionally beautiful children like everybody else, right? <laughs> <sighs> what can I say? I married a pretty lady. No. Um, but, um, and because I just adore my children, you know. But when we tell people, when we tell kids that, you know, God relates to us like a parent, that is not necessarily great news for every kid. Uh, I, can, I had a student who, uh, I, this was a long time ago before I was at my current church, and I asked him, I said, man, I've known you for two years, and we hang, we, I see you every week, and I've never heard you say anything about your dad. And his body language really told the story. He slouched his shoulders and he looked down at the ground and he almost was in like a defensive posture. And he said, I am ashamed to talk about my dad. So my dad has had 11 children by 11 different women. I've hardly known him. And for me to talk about my dad reminds me that I am nothing but a one night stand. Um, I know another, another, some other ministers in the UK and they talked about a child who had been abused, who a family in their church was fostering, and the church as a whole was kind of fostering this child. After about six months, the boy said, you know, the most amazing thing about being out of my dad's house is that people call me by my name. My dad never called me by my name. He just called me, you stupid blankety blank. That's all he ever called me. And so it is not necessarily encouraging for kids to hear that God relates to us like a parent, but what is encouraging is that Paul makes very, very clear in this text that God relates to us in a way that is similar to the way that he relates to his perfect son, Jesus. Uh, We see two evidence of that. First, 
in verse 16, Paul says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, a lot of you probably know that Abba is a very intimate term. It's, it's an Aramaic word, and it basically is translated as daddy, right? But it's interesting, Douglas Moo and other New Testament scholars believe that the reason that both Mark and Paul kept that word in the Aramaic when they wrote it in Scripture was because they believed that that was the personal, affectionate pet name that Jesus referred to God the Father by. So in the same way that my one-year-old daughter calls me, or my one-year-old son calls me Dada, and my one-year-old daughter, or my three-year-old daughter, <laughs> oh, I love those kids so much I can't remember how old they are, right? Um, <laughs> um, but anyhow, and my, my three-year-old daughter, she calls me Daddy, right? Dada, Daddy. Jesus called his father Abba. And so what Paul is communicating here is that through Christ, we have been brought into a relationship with God such that we can call him by the same affectionate pet name that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, referred to the Father. We've been brought into that kind of relationship. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, in, in his commentary on the Galatians, when writing about the word Abba, he wrote this. He says, this is but a little word. And yet, notwithstanding, it comprehends everything. The mouth speaks not, but the affection of the heart speaks after this manner. Although I am oppressed with anguish and terror on every side, and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from your presence, yet I am your child, and you are my father for Christ's sake. I am beloved because of the beloved. Wherefore, this little word, Father, conceived effectually in the heart, surpasses all the eloquence of Demosthenes, Cicero, and of the most eloquent rhetoricians that ever were in the world. Second evidence of this is that when Paul talks about our relationship, he says that we are sons of God. Now, in saying this, Paul is not being the misogynist and the chauvinist that he is often falsely accused of being. Um, Paul is not using gender-exclusive language. He is intentionally saying that we are sons of God because in that day... Women could not inherit anything. And he is trying to communicate that all people who are reconciled with God, men and women alike, are sons of God. We are inheritors. And he goes on and he says in verse 17 that if we are children of God, then we are heirs. And if we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So we as heirs have inherited all kinds of things from Jesus. But in particular, we have inherited his righteousness. And so think about this. Think about the pride that, Je that God had in a perfect child. Jesus never sinned. He always obeyed. He never complained. He always served. He never backed away. He always laid down his life. Imagine. You know, the, if you're a parent, know the pride you have the one time a day that your child you know, respects your authority or obeys what you say. It, it really, it is a, like, it produces joy in your heart. And imagine the experience of God the Father watching his son always be perfect. All of that favor, all of that pleasure, all of that adoration. What Paul is saying is that we have inherited that disposition from God. God views us and delights in us and cherishes us in the same way that he delights in and cherishes his son Jesus, who is perfect. 
That is the result of inheriting the righteousness of Jesus through imputation. And you know, when you think about a lot of the experiences that our kids have with their parents, and I don't look, I don't want to, I'm not trying to beat up on parents because, I mean, as Jessica said very accurately, it is so difficult to be a parent. It is so scary. It is like daily failure and inadequacy. Um, you are trying so hard and you're not necessarily feeling very appreciated. Every parent, for the most part, is really trying their hardest. They really are. But every parent, me included, the chief among them, is a sinner. You know, we're just, I can just have never, could not believe how selfish and shallow I was until I had kids. It was so humiliating. Absolutely humiliating. And so when you think about the, you know, the different experiences our kids have with parents, kids who are scrutinized and pressured constantly by parents, or kids who are ignored by parents, or kids um, who are abandoned by parents, or kids who are harmed by their parents, you know, think about how attractive God is to them. To hear about a father who loves and accepts them perfectly, cherishes them perfectly apart from their performance. And when a kid hears that, I mean, when a person really embraces and internalizes that, there is no other option but to love that parent. Like, there is no other option but to worship and praise and want to lay down your life for a parent who demonstrates that kind of love for us. Now, all of us, this message that I'm speaking tonight, like, you guys probably do this every single week. Like, this is not old news to us, right? I mean, you know that God's a loving father. You're trying to get the kids to believe it. But why is it so, so difficult for us to walk in the Spirit? Why is it so hard for us to actually believe that God is pleased with us um, just because he's pleased with us, just because we're his adopted child? And Paul has an important word. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And when he says put to death the deeds of the body, certainly he's talking about repentance of sin, but he's also talking about putting to death the mentality, the mindset of the flesh, the mindset that God is a boss or God is a taskmaster. And so when he says put to death, that is not a word like give a little bit of effort. Uh, that is a word of, you know, constant, intense repentance, constantly having to walk away from the flesh to the spirit. And he says first, he says this first, and this is the emphatic thing, if by the spirit you put to death. So in the flesh, like out of our own power, we cannot bring ourselves into the light of the spirit, we ha into the age of the spirit. We have to trust Christ. We have to trust the Holy Spirit to carry us there constantly. We have to trust the Holy Spirit to bring us out of the shadow of the boss and to bring us into the light of the perfect, loving Father. You know, I, I would say that all of us wake up in the morning with a taskmaster standing by our bedside. And I would submit that uh, for most of us, the taskmaster a lot of times looks like the worst perception or worst image that we had of our own parents. Um, the wires just tend to get crossed. And so for me... Uh, when I wake up, the taskmaster, what he cares about are two things, production and success. Those are, those are my default idols. And so, you know, I had, I had good parents. You know, I had a good 
I had a, you know, a dad and a mom who told me they loved me every day. They were really supportive of me, even in my quirkiness. Um, we had family dinner together every night. And we went to church every Sunday. So, I mean, I had a good situation, and I'm still a mess. Um, my dad, you know, I can remember as a kid, my dad, like, celebrating my, do- my, uh, my sister, my older sister, her work ethic. She was a really hard worker. And he was just being a good parent and encouraging her. But in my sinful and, you know, childish uh, mentality, I kind of interpreted it like, wow, if dad's going to celebrate me, I need to really be a hard worker. And then I can remember as a kid, my mom, when I would like win a trophy in swimming or bring home a good test grade, my mom being so excited, like so excited. And she was excited for me. But my interpretation of that is if mom is going to be pleased with me, I need to win. And I need to win big. And so for me, if I do not constantly repent and constantly trust the Holy Spirit to bring me in to the light of the Father, I will work myself and push myself to the point of depression and misery and exhaustion. It is a daily battle, and I'm sure that you know it too, and it is incredibly valuable for you to know your story. It is incredibly valuable whether that is through journaling or through talking to friends or going to a counselor to uncross the wires and see where you project a false image on God the Father that you may have inherited in your childhood. And so a good question for us is to ask the question, am I relating to God as a taskmaster or am I relating to God as a perfect loving Father who is perfectly pleased with me? And it is just so critical for us to constantly proclaim to the kids that Jesus has slayed the taskmaster. Jesus has cut the knees out from the taskmaster. He has buried the taskmaster ten feet below the earth. The taskmaster doesn't exist. The, when you have reconciled with God through Christ, the only God that exists is a perfect, loving Father who cherishes you. Finally, in eternity, we relate to God and all others as completely hopeful and fully healed people. Uh, Paul reminds us that if we are in union with Christ, then we will suffer with Christ. But he also reminds us that our ultimate destiny is to be glorified with Christ in heaven. He reminds us that in all the difficulty, all the brokenness, all the baggage, all the frustration, that it's, it's a temporary. There's going to be a day when it all goes away. And there's going to be a day where we will no longer have to walk by faith. We will no longer have to just trust in God's word. We won't have to be fighting and repenting all the time because we will believe that God is pleased with us because we will see the expression on his face. We will constantly see him smiling at us face to face. And this, this struggle to believe will no longer be an issue. So I know for a lot of people here uh, that your relationship with your parents may be difficult. I know that, you know, there is, it's complicated and it's frustrating and there are wounds. And I would say that knowing that you have a perfect loving father enables you to potentially be more gracious to your imperfect parents. Uh, it, it, it allows you 
to maybe surrender some of the expectation you have of who your parents uh, were supposed to be or who they were not. Uh, It frees you up to potentially accept them and forgive them and maybe even reconcile with them. I also know that there are some of you who you've never met one of your parents or it's just never going to be safe for you to enter into a relationship with them. That's just, that if they're potentially, perhaps they're an abusive person and it's just never going to happen. And the encouragement I would have for you is that your parents on earth are provisional. They are substitutes until the day that you reach heaven and you meet your true parent, a true perfect parent that you were made for. And all of the baggage that you have, all of the wounds that you suffer, they're all going to be relieved and they're all going to be healed. There's going to be a day when the wounds of childhood are completely gone. Finally, uh, you know, Field of Dreams, if you've seen the movie, you know, Ray, the main character, he has, you know, followed this voice. And he's done everything the voice has asked. He's taken a lot of risks. He's had a lot of difficulties. And finally, at the end, he says, what is in it for me? What is in it for me? I've done everything I was supposed to do. And Joe Jackson points across the field, and there in the field is his dad. And his dad is waiting to play a game of catch with him. He's waiting to be in relationship with him again. And so I know that, particularly if you work in ministry, that very often your life and your job is thankless and it feels fruitless. I think that's also true a lot of times if you're a parent. And the encouragement that I would offer is I, like Joe Jackson did, I would point across the sky. I would point across the sky to a father who is looking down on you and who is pleased. I would, I would point across the sky to a father who is waiting for you. And I would say that is what is in it for you. What is in it for you is by the blood of Christ, you have a parent who is pleased with you, you have a parent who cherishes you, and you have a parent by the blood of Christ who is proud of you. Let's pray. Um, Dear Jesus, thank you for such a good night. Thank you that we have this message that is true. And I pray, Lord God, that by your grace and by the reality that you are a perfect loving parent, that we would all be healed, that we all be set free, and we would all be more gracious and merciful people. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.